Welcome to episode 23 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, we'll take you on our spring break trip through the amazing redwood forest. Then we'll talk a little trash and answer the question, what do I do with my garbage on the trail? On the Summit Gear Review, we'll review the number one most popular backpacking item on our family's spring break trip. Then on the Backpack Hack of the Week, we'll teach you a $2 trick that will get your fire started in seconds. Then we'll wrap up the show with a little trail wisdom from a U.S. president who maybe should have been in our backpacking pranks episode. (laughs) All this and that's about it today on The First 40 Miles. Hey, we just came back from spring break and we promised that we would share our spring break experience with our listeners. So, yeah, so we took a trip to the Redwood National and State Parks on the Northern California coast. We drove down the Oregon coast to get there, spent a few days, and then uh, headed back up through, I guess it's the Klamath Mountains, and then up through Eugene, Oregon to get back home. And if it sounds like we're a little bit congested, (laughs) we are. We got sick right after the trip. I don't know how common that is. You have a great trip. You're all energized. You're experiencing this beautiful, fresh mountain air, and then you come back and the germs just attack you. Is that a common backpacking phenomenon? I'll have to watch for it. I I don't know. But yeah, so we both kind of got sick. So Josh, what for you was one of the biggest surprises of the trip? I mean, it was six of us, four kids, two adults. There's bound to be some surprises. Yeah, there were probably a few. But to start out with before the trip even started, uh, was just the time that it took to get everyone loaded up. If I'm going backpacking, or if the two of us are going backpacking, then we're each responsible for our own pack. And we coordinate a little bit because there's certain things that we only carry one of. So we share those between us. But basically, you know, within a couple hours, I can grab all my gear, stuff it in my pack, and I'm ready to go. We decided not to take one of our old sleeping bags. So we had to go out and shop around a little bit for a new sleeping bag for actually two of our kids. because we had two heavy sleeping bags that were pretty old. And there were some great deals out there because it's not quite backpacking season yet. We spent part of the day shopping and the other part of the day packing. And it really was a full day experience getting ready for this trip. Yeah, our house was an explosion. There were just things all over the house (laughs) as we helped the kids kind of gather their stuff. And, you know, like you were saying, we're still at the point where we're kind of um, working through our gear Mm -hmm. and making those gear decisions. I think we're going to get to the point where we've pretty much got all the gear dialed in. And then we know, you know, for kid number three, here's his sleeping bag. Here's his 10 essentials. Here's his bag of clothing, you know, and everything will be there. But we're not quite to that point yet. And we have a designated little closet now that we're starting to put gear in and make sure that it's all in boxes, organized. My next goal is to get everyone's stuff labeled so that, you know, our daughter's flashlight has her name on it. So if it's left out, we know who it belongs to. And that's just one of the things that kind of par for the course when you're traveling with kids is just all the stuff. And they don't necessarily have the skills yet to account for all of their stuff and make sure that it's all in their pack. 
And my goal is to see if we can really get to a grab and go situation where, you know, obviously there's some gear that you don't want to leave in the packs, you know, like sleeping bags need to be stored, puffed up instead of compressed. But uh, I really want to get to a point where everyone can grab their pack, stuff in the sleeping bag and, you know, maybe a couple other things that are just there on the shelf and then we're gone. I'd love to get to that point. No, that'd be so much fun. Well, another thing that kind of surprised me about this trip is the child that I was most worried about having a bad attitude had a total 180 on this trip. And I think I figured out one of the things that did it. We went to the beach before we started our backpacking trip. I think that filled his bucket or, you know, primed the pump or whatever. It really just made him feel like he did something that he wanted to do he just had a lot of fun. And so he felt ready to accomplish anything. He was really happy. Yeah. He just spent a couple hours straight working on that driftwood fort and he loves to build things. And that just got him really, I think it got him focused and calm and free. And like you say, that turned him around. He was, he had a great experience the rest of the week. One of the other things that I am kind of trying to figure out is how much to plan. You know, when I was single, I didn't do much planning. Hey, I want to go here. And I take off and then just discover whatever I discover there. Since I've become a dad, I've done a lot more planning. And usually whenever we take a family trip, I've got certain pieces of it laid out exactly. Um, So I'll make hotel reservations online, campsite reservations online, and have all that done in advance so that uh, we don't spend time trying to figure those things out. Uh, This time I decided to play it a little more loosely uh, because we were going to kind of watch the weather and decided that uh, if the the weather wasn't too hard to deal with, we'd be out uh, backpacking more. And if we had some really rainy nights, then we might choose a hotel or find a cabin. The first night it was pouring rain and windy and the forecast said it would be. So I knew that already. So that first night we went without a reservation anywhere and just ended up in a small town in Southwest Oregon, going from hotel to hotel. We are driving down the Oregon coast right now on our way to the Redwood National and State Parks. And it has been raining um, nonstop. The next day I went to the visitor center in Crescent City I got information about the Little Bald Hills backcountry camp, made a reservation for that. We headed off to a forest service campground that night, and it had plenty of spots available. There are definitely some challenges that come with backpacking as a family, but I think the benefits and the the plus side far outweighs all the challenges. Well, and we saw our kids do great things. You know, <laughs> as we true. saw, it was a 3.3-mile hike up to the campsite, It was about 1,800 feet of elevation gain. So it was a fairly, you know, it was a moderate climb. The kids did great. It's just so exciting to see that they really put themselves to something that was hard and did it. And I would have to say, I enjoyed this trip a lot more than our last trip. So we're getting better. So we are getting better. It's improving. (laughs) I thought it was funny. We got to the trailhead and our youngest son, who is a first grader, he read the trailhead sign. And of course takes everything, you know, seriously. And it had a warning about ticks. I have no idea if there are any ticks out in the springtime, but he uh, responded to that warning 
and tucked his pant legs inside <laughs> of his socks. And so these socks were just kind of all wadded up the, around his pant legs. And that's how he hiked up the trail that day. <laughs> I think he had his pants like that most of the trip. Yeah. He was very cautious. And he didn't get any ticks. No ticks, no. <laughs> Do you have any iconic images from this trip that just kind of keep playing in your head? Yeah, I have one. We had an entire day, just a layover day with no hiking. And so that morning, got up. It was kind of cold like it usually is in the morning. And I uh, hiked up out of camp onto the trail and up over the ridge, just probably two minutes out of camp, and discovered this meadow with some loose pine trees dispersed in it. And the sun was shining, and it felt like it was 10 or 20 degrees warmer right there. Oh, it felt so good to just soak up the sun in that meadow that morning. Well, back when we did the trip, um, we shared some status updates on social media on our uh, Facebook and Twitter accounts. You can check out the updates that we posted while we were on the trip. All right. Are we ready for our top five list of the day? Yeah, we are. Well, we actually got a question from Shelly in Oregon. She says, Love your podcast. I listen to it on my drive to work. I have a question for you both. I backpack with my grown daughter and have had a recurring problem with finding the perfect garbage bag for my trash. Each time I get a hole in the plastic or it's too thin to hold much. And after a week, I have a lot to pack out. Thank you so much for sharing tons of info. You are both so appreciated. Thank you, Shelly. We do have some tips for trash on the trail that I think will answer some of Shelly's questions. When Shelly asked us that question about what to do with trash, we had a fun time brainstorming some ideas. And the very first thing that I thought of was don't bring it. Well, there's so much extra packaging that can come with some of the stuff that you buy. So if you get rid of all that extra packaging, you can significantly reduce the amount of leftover trash that you're going to have. And so that is tip number one. If you bring less in the first place, you'll have less to pack out. You can remove the excess packaging at home, and then you'll have less weight to carry too, which is another benefit. The number two rule for trash on the trail is pack it out or burn it. Now, if you're going to pack it out and you're looking for a tough plastic bag to carry the trash in, you can use that bag from the inside of cereal boxes. That's a really durable, tough plastic that it's going to be hard to rip through, and that'll compress down really well, too. You can also use a stuff sack. Yeah, one of the things we recommended to Shelly was a combination of a plastic bag and a stuff sack. So the stuff sack would provide the strength, and the plastic bag would seal everything in. Another option you have on the trail is to burn your garbage. Now this is a little bit, I don't know, political, tricky, <laughs> confusing. If you're going to burn, then you have to know what you're burning. You can't just throw everything into the fire because a lot of plastics will release toxic gases. That doesn't sound good for anyone. But I have been doing some reading and some researching on the internet, and I found out that polyethylene can be burned and that it may even be a better option than throwing it away when you get home because if you throw it away then the polyethylene bags take much longer to degrade in a landfill. So polyethylene is a plastic that can be burned as long as it doesn't have plasticizers in it and other things added to it. It's a plastic that consists of carbon and hydrogen so when you burn it you get carbon dioxide and water 
One of the examples of a polyethylene bag would be a Ziploc bag. So I don't want to spread incorrect information. I'm not a scientist, and so this is just based on the research that I've done. If you are a plastic scientist, (laughs) (laughs) please let us know if this information is correct. I know there's just a lot of crazy stuff out there on the internet, and that's That's where I found this information. So I hope I'm not talking crazy talk. But from what I understand, you can burn Ziploc bags. Well, it's very interesting. The prevailing line is don't burn plastic. And nobody talks about the fact that there's lots of different kinds of plastics. And a plastic that is composed solely of hydrocarbons is going to burn cleanly, like you say, and it's going to make carbon dioxide and water. It's going to burn cleaner than wood. Just keep in mind, though, that we're not talking about every kind of plastic, just polyethylene. Our number three rule for trash on the trail is to treat your trash like you treat your food. So if it's a container that had food in it, then it smells like food. You've got to protect it just like you would protect your food. So if you leave the trash out because you think, well, it's not my food, well, then a rodent comes and grabs that trash because it smells good and drags it off through the woods, you know, and now you've contributed to a littering problem. So keep your trash with your food, protect it from animals, keep it in a a bear bin or bear-proof or rodent-proof sack if you're in country where that is going to be important, and, and keep it protected. Bears have an incredibly strong sense of smell, so if you leave wrappers out, they're gonna think it's food and they'll be attracted to your sight. I don't know if I'm as concerned about the rodents as I am of bears. I know they have a great sense of smell, so I'd like to put my wrappers with my food and just keep them all locked up in a little box. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, the rodents can really are probably more likely to cause problems for you because they're so much more common. And, you know, I went for years with a hole in my pack because I had left food in there that was easy for a rodent to get to. Okay, now how do you know that wasn't a bear that did that? Well, it was a small hole. Okay. Maybe it was a small bear. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, the number four rule for trash on the trail is all trash is your trash. So you can be a trail angel and pick up after others. And this includes things that may not look like trash, like a shoe or a piece of leftover equipment from someone's gear. Those things can be picked up as well. If it's something valuable, you can take it to the ranger office. But if it's something like a wrapper, then it's yours and you can take it home. A nice little uh, memento from the trail, huh? Yes. That little line about take only memories and leave only footprints. No, you actually do get to take something home. You can take other people's trash home, and that really helps with keeping the trail nice and clean. Well, it does. The number five rule for trash on the trail is deal with human-generated waste appropriately. Unless you're on a delicate trail where you have to pack everything out, including human waste, it's best to use a quickly decomposing toilet paper like Scott's One Ply, and then make sure you bury it six to eight inches under the ground. The great thing about Scott's toilet paper is that it, it decomposes very quickly because it's one ply. A lot of toilet papers, um, the two ply stuff, especially the uh, soft, squishy stuff, has things added to it that make it so it doesn't decompose as quickly. Mm. In fact, if you have a septic tank, you probably know the brands to stay away from. Those are the same brands that you need to avoid on the trail. So with toilet paper, keep it cheap and simple and thin. 
and that will help help it to decompose quickly. It also helps if you have a trowel. So there are some really great lightweight trowel options out there. Number one is the Deuce of Spades, and that's a 0.6 ounce aluminum trowel that will help you to dig a really nice um, hole for using the bathroom. And then the other option is the Chi Wiz titanium trowel, and it's spelled Q-I-W-I-Z. Both of those, super lightweight, they'll help you dig a cat hole without disturbing a lot of the environment around where you use the bathroom. Another thing we need to address with human-generated waste is feminine hygiene. If you're a woman and you're bringing feminine hygiene products on the trail, there is no option that I know of for burying feminine hygiene. You, you really need to pack it out. So the option that we recommend is to use Maskit. Maskets are bags that are a mess-free way to package your used feminine hygiene products. They are made of a bioplastic that decomposes really quickly, so you're not adding more waste to landfills. You're just protecting the waste that you have so that it's not a mess in your pack, and it also blocks odors. So don't bury feminine hygiene products, and we'll cover this a little bit more in our Ahead of the Curve Women and Backpacking episode coming up, and we'll also give you some other trash-free options for feminine hygiene. And that Women in Backpacking episode will be the first Tuesday in May, so it's right around the corner. That's right. So those are our top five rules for trash on the trail. First, don't bring it. Uh, Make sure you pack it out or burn it. Store it like you would store your food. Take responsibility for all trash, even if it's not yours. And deal with your human-generated waste appropriately. Great. Hey, thanks, Shelly, for asking that question. We really appreciate it. We love to know what our first 40 milers are interested in and the kind of questions you have. So go ahead and send us more questions, and we will incorporate them into the show. Well, today on the Summit Gear Review, we are going to be reviewing the Eno Double Nest Hammock with Atlas Straps. Okay, this was the number one most popular item on our last backpacking trip. It was, um, it was like a little theme park between two trees, just watching the four kids play in this hammock. Then I know there are some people who actually sleep in a hammock and they'll use it like as an actual little shelter, but our kids loved it. It was the highlight of the trip. Okay, the trees were nice too. The big redwood trees, those were amazing. But I have to say the double nest hammock was awesome. Which surprised me. (laughs) Back uh, around Christmas time, you were doing some shopping and you had uh, ordered a hammock and said, yeah, we can take it on our backpacking trips. And I said, it's just going to be extra weight. And after like one use, it's just going to sit in the closet. I mean, first of all, you get out in the woods and what's the chance that you're going to find two trees that are perfectly (laughs) spaced to hang a hammock? I have to say, this was the Christmas 2014 fight, the hammock fight. It was, yeah. It was a little, I mean... You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you ended up canceling the order. I did, yeah. And uh, in, in a way, actually, I'm, I'm still glad that that order was canceled because that was going to be some cheap Chinese product <laughs> off of AliExpress. And the way that our kids played with the Eno hammock, they would have completely annihilated that the cheap hammock. hammock. That's yeah. true. So I am glad we didn't get that one, but I was completely wrong 
about how little use it would get. So the awesome thing is this little Eno double nest hammock, along with the Atlas straps, compresses down to about the size of a package of bagels. So that's, you know, roughly the size. And it ends up being about two pounds. It's made of breathable, quick-drying nylon. The carabiners themselves hold 400 pounds, and they're made of aluminum. The hammock fabric itself has heavy-duty, triple-stitched seams. I guess one of the things that attracts kids to hammocks so much is just the bright, fun, energetic colors. It makes it look fun. Ours is bright orange, and it really uh, stands out. So the hammock has a 400-pound capacity, which we tested. That's for sure. Over and over. I mean, I think the combined weight of our kids we figured out was probably 425 to 450. Um, So technically, they should not have all four been in the hammock at the same time. But um, we were really surprised at where the uh, where the hammock was stressed the most. When they all got out and came down to dinner, we checked the hammock and I would have thought that the nylon itself on the hammock would rip or, you know, that's where the stress would be. But that was not the case. It was the carabiners that were that were bent. One of them was, yeah. And yeah. so I pounded it back with a rock, kind of pounded it back into shape and, and we rehung the hammock. But I'm glad that the carabiners are the weak point because then you just replace those, you know, instead of having the nylon rip and then you've got you've got to replace the whole hammock. And when we say weak point, um, it's because we were breaking the rules. It's really a high quality, amazing hammock. We're the rule breakers. <laughs> oh, right. I mean, this is the 400 pound weak point or the doing 360s in the hammock weak point. <laughs> I wish we took a video of that. <laughs> they would get in the hammock and spin themselves around, like push each other till they flipped a 360. Anyway, they had a lot of fun. So as far as utility goes, the hammock comes with a compression stuff sack, which is really great because it attaches onto the hammock. We got the Atlas straps with it. They're really durable, really tough straps. And the great thing about the Atlas straps is you can wrap them around a tree and they won't cut into the bark which is one of the risks of using some kind of a rope, paracord, rope, line. So the atlas straps really save the tree. To maintain this hammock, you're going to want to remove the carabiners, and then you have the option of hand washing in the sink or washing it in a washing machine with some mild detergent, like sports suds or something like that. And of course, hang to dry. Makes sense. So as far as the investment goes, an Eno double nest hammock, uh, which is supposed to fit two people, is $69.95. And if you get the Atlas straps with it, that's another, you know, $30. So for this set, it's going to be about $100. But I looked up online and found out that a one-day child pass to enter Disneyland now costs $94.79 after tax. And that's just the entrance fee to walk into the magical kingdom. So um, Disneyland officials said that research shows that $100, that price point, is still a great entertainment value. However, I just want to point out that Disneyland has nothing on these Eno hammocks, which for $100 entertained four kids for days. So the kids spent most of the time simply playing in the hammock. Uh, But two of our boys did decide to brave it 
and use the hammock for what it was meant to be used for. We had them bring their sleeping pads into the hammock and two sleeping bags and there's one kid on one end and one kid on the other end and that seemed to work for them. They stayed in it the whole night. Yeah, so they the two of them spent one night together in the hammock. Now the second night, I think each of them wanted to stay in the hammock, but wanted to be the only kid in the hammock. So uh, I think while they enjoyed their night in the hammock, they didn't so much enjoy the fact that there were two of them, uh, you know, knocking into each other throughout the night. Yeah. So even though this is a double nest hammock, I think it would be really hard to sleep with another person in that hammock. Yeah, I think so. But they did it and uh, lived to tell about it. So the Eno double nest hammock with the Atlas straps, about $100 and worth it. It was just a real, uh, real crowd pleaser on this trip. And I think we'll bring it on most of our backpacking trips. So today's backpack hack of the week is the classic cotton ball fire starter. It's just a really simple, fast way to start a fire. So fire starters are one of those things that maybe you haven't thought about bringing out on the trail before, but they really make the difference between having a successful fire and just having a fire pit full of matches. What you're going to do is take some cotton balls, and they have to be 100% cotton, and you'll also need a tub of petroleum jelly, and you're going to unwind the cotton ball and just take a teaspoon of petroleum jelly and squish it with your fingers into the fibers of the cotton ball. And once you do that, you can kind of bunch it all up, roll it up and stick it in a plastic bag. Maybe take about 10 or 12 on the trip and put them all in a little small plastic container or plastic bag. And then when you're ready to use your fire starter, you're gonna wanna pull the cotton ball apart so that oxygen can get to the fibers. And when you're ready to light it on fire, you can either use a match or you can use like a ferrocium rod, you know, one of those flint and steel type lighters, and it should flare up instantly with any spark or the touch of a match. Now, I usually just keep plain old cotton balls in my 10 essentials because they're a really great first aid item. I also keep in my 10 essentials some lip balm. So if you happen to be on the trail and you need a really great fire starter, just take one of your cotton balls and cut off a little piece of lip balm and you'll have pretty much the same thing. So it'll be a really nice fire starter. They burn for a couple minutes and that gives you enough time in those windy, rainy conditions to get your tinder a little more dried out and then that will help your kindling to burn a little bit better and then that'll help your fuel to ignite. Yeah, a longer burning fire starter makes all the difference in tough conditions. And so here's one you can make at home, or if you happen to carry lip balm or something with you and cotton balls, you might just make it on the trail. Well, we just had our little April Fool's Day episode where we talked about pranks on the trail. I've always felt that President Nixon was maybe a little bit of a prankster. He did have some very wise words to say. President Nixon said, Recorded on tape. (laughs) (laughs) Only if you have been in the deepest valley can you ever know how magnificent it is to be on the highest mountain. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, follow us on Facebook or review us on iTunes. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles.
thought it was funny. I, I never thought of Watergate that way. Just a cute little prank.